You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Family, friends, fans, and foes, it's time once again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling, and I am your host, Casey Corbin, and thank you for joining us today on the podcast, and what a day, what a podcast, what a day for a podcast it is today, oh boy, what do we have, well first of all, this is our 103rd episode, I know lately we've been celebrating a lot, we just celebrated our 100th episode three weeks ago. But right now, this week, as we listen, today, July 4th, maybe you're listening on the 5th, maybe you're listening on the 6th, doesn't matter. The first week of July is our anniversary year, and we just finished our, this is our two-year anniversary today. Um, folks, very excited. And for a two-year anniversary, uh, we got a guest. And um, what a guest do we have? No, Jeff McHenry's not on the show again. No, no, no. We got a great guest today. The gazed guest. Uh, you might remember him from managing such tag teams as the Natural Disasters or the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers or how about uh, Money Incorporated or how about the, Mania Mani- the Mega Maniacs or how about the greatest tag team of all time, the Hart Foundation. That's right, today's guest is none other than Jimmy, the mouth of the South Heart. Folks, I can't tell you how excited I am to bring you this issue of talking wrestling and uh what a time it was and it's i'm real. i gotta tell you usually i'm into this stuff about this stuff right now you know social media stuff but i gotta tell you first this might be my favorite episode that i've done in the two years that i've done this podcast and i've done 103 different episodes a lot of different guests um hall of fame wrestlers wrestlers in the pwi 500 wwe legends but let me tell you um i had so many questions asked jimmy hart that i forgot questions and i feel like i'd do another episode with him tomorrow if i could uh jimmy was such a treat uh to be around <clears throat> and um just very kind and generous and uh you know they say you never meet your heroes well every time i meet my heroes usually something weird happens but uh jimmy hart you know i my god i was just i was very excited to meet him um very excited and more excited to share a drive with him and uh thanks for jan murphy to for uh getting us to drive jimmy hart back to toronto uh and uh and, you know, thanks to Brickworks for bringing him to Toronto uh, for their show that they had that night. And thanks for Jimmy for doing the podcast. Uh, I, I appreciate it so very much. Uh, with that said, folks, before we get to the interview, you know where you got to hit us up. Blah, blah, blah. All the social medias, you know, on the Twitter, you can say it with me. We're at TNWPod. On Instagram, we're at Talking Wrestling Podcast. Yeah, that's it. That's the ticket. Um, not only that... Uh, we're also talking wrestling on Facebook, and if you want to send us a Gmail, 
uh, to let us know. Did we read your question last week? Did, did, did we? Did we? Let us know at talkingwrestling at gmail.com. Of course, if you did, if we did read your email, you don't need to listen to us because you already know the email. The email is the Gmail. I'm out of control. Uh, folks, what do we have next? Uh, Spotify. Check us out on Spotify. Like us, follow us, uh, love us. Um, if you are on iTunes, give us a five-star rating, a favorable review. We'll uh, send you a postcard from the 80s, specifically 1984. A lot of postcards left. Ric Flair's still there. I can't believe the Nature Boy is sitting there in my book going, Woo! It's not even a woo! Because he's like wondering, When am I going to get mailed out to somebody who's going to read, uh, leave five-star rating and, and a good review? When's it going to be? Huh? 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 Anyways, folks, um, hit, the all, hit us all up on those social medias. We appreciate uh, everything you do to help uh, the, the show grow. Uh, with that said, folks, um, a new era. Raw, SmackDown, WWE. A new era has gone on. Ring of Honor had a huge pay-per-view. Uh, AEW did another pay-per-view. Uh, Cody Rhodes is getting 12 staples in his head. 12. I'm surprised it's not 10 because he was hit by the wrestler formerly known as Ty Dillinger. Uh, craziness is going on. But most of all, uh, WWE control creative control of all the 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 up of raw and smackdown uh paul Heyman is now in charge of raw and um smackdown is in charge of uh is in charge of being led by eric bischoff and um i think this is good i think it's good i think it'll be good once vince sort of separates himself for a bit i think vince needs to go focus on the xfl and uh and let these guys work for a bit i already noticed raw last night was was very enjoyable but i'm not one of those ones that's always shitting on raw i just you know uh but it was more enjo enjoyable last night and uh, i did notice some things that i liked um you know heel turns and and such and uh, uh you know and and it, it, i think it's gonna be great i think it's gonna be great anything that's uh, you know uh this is the thing about AEW coming in, you know, it's only anyway. It's like, oh, AEW is going to be better than WWE, is it? Well, WWE will adapt and move forward, just like they did in the past, and uh, and I think they're going to be fine. I think AEW is going to be fine. I think everybody's going to be fine. Maybe Ring of Honor might take a hit. You know, New Japan probably not. You know, they're probably pissed as well. Uh, Impact kind of doing their own thing. But the thing is, is for all these smaller promotions, it's going to be hard to um, to keep their talent when their talent's always going to want to go to AEW or WWE. Um, so, you know, I think in the next bunch of years, if you want to see the stars of tomorrow, it's not going to see them on WWE. You're probably going to find them in Ring of Honor. And I guess that's the, that's what it's been for the past whatever, like... You look at all the current stars in the WWE, and a lot of them were in Ring of Honor, you know, and uh, so, so yeah, yeah. That's anyways. Um, yeah, Paul Heyman taking over, Eric Bischoff taking over. Uh, I'm curious to see where it happens, and uh, you know, and I'm curious to see when Vince Russo is going to come into the rotation. But uh, with that said, folks, um, 
I don't want to talk your off any more than I than I should, because like I said, uh, I'm very uh, happy with this uh, issue with Jimmy Hart, and grateful that I had the chance to talk to Jimmy about the Mets of South Hart. Um, you know, it's uh, my mom hated Jimmy the Mets of South Hart. Like my mom used to curse him on TV all the time. Oh my God, she she despised him so much. And, uh, you know, to see my mom's no longer with us, but she never got to see me develop this podcast and and get to meet the wrestlers that we used to watch when I was a kid. It was, it was my mom that took me to see the wrestling matches a lot of the times. And because uh, she loved wrestling as well. And, you know, whenever I get to um, spend time with somebody that she knows or that she knew and that she loved or hated, you know, it's just, uh, it's very special for me. And, uh, and Jimmy the Mouse South Heart, um, has always been one of my favorites. And, uh, we're going to go to it right now. So, uh, driving somewhere between, uh, Kingston and Toronto, um, I'm in a ride along, uh, coming back from the Kingston Chinlock, uh, five charity wrestling show and legends convention. And we're on our way to, uh, Toronto to bring Jimmy Hart to his, uh, to his air, uh, airport hotel and, uh, handle him, hand him off to the brick, the good people from bricks works who will be, uh, having him perform that night at absolute comedy in Toronto. Uh, so yeah, uh, I hope you enjoy this interview and, uh, congratulations. This is two years. We've done it. And, uh, oh boy, who are we going to get for year three? I don't know, but uh, but right now, enjoy Jimmy Hart. So I'm right now, uh, I'm in a car driving back to um, beautiful Toronto from Kingston. Uh, we were, we're coming back from the sh- uh, Chinlock 5 wrestling show and Legends, Comic, uh, Legends Con. And um, we've hijacked one of the talent. And uh, he's sitting in the front seat right now. Uh, that's why we make our way to Toronto. It's the legendary Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy, thanks for being on the show, and uh, thanks for driving with us today. Well, you know what? This is great. Thanks you for the ride. But you know what? I feel great because if Ricky the Dragon Steamboat sit right in the same seat and did this interview, and so did the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, then I'm honored to be sitting here. But it's a beautiful day. It's not raining today. The last couple of days it's been raining everywhere. I was in... Um, Friday, I think I was in Ottawa doing a personal appearance. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, last night doing the House of Hardcore with Tommy Dreamer. And, oh, my God, it was great to see Mark Henry there. And Brett the Hitman Hart was there. I was sitting next to my main man, Big Tugboat. Uh, so we had a great time last night. It was great. Yeah, it's crazy. I, was, uh, I think I might have been one of the only people to go up and ask for, uh, can I have Typhoon's autograph? And I gave him my Natural Disasters uh, collector's card. So... He was like, oh, yeah, not a problem. So he signed Typhoon. Uh, you know, as, I guess he has to, I said, you must have to get numerous signatures down. Like, uh, you know, you, someone might ask you for Big Steel Man. Someone might ask you for Tugboat, Typhoon, you know, Shockmaster. So uh, I always think it's interesting uh, when wrestlers have different characters over time, you know, and they do these autograph signings. I always wonder who is the most popular wrestler that they have. Of course, you've never had that problem, so... I just had the different jackets with my different guys, but did you wear the Shockmaster helmet last night? No, I, I saw too many people try it on, and I uh, I didn't see any spray. Uh, and I, and I, uh, 
bacterial spray, so I did not do that. Uh, no, but uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised they have that Lucasfilm and Disney have not come down on him for even having a bedazzled Stormtrooper helmet. Well, they probably don't even know it yet. <laughs> until and, now. Until now, exactly. Uh, Jimmy, you're, we're up here in Canada. You have a history of managing some of the greatest Canadian wrestlers of all time, uh, being Dino Bravo and the Rougeos, and, of course, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, you, must, you must enjoy Canada. Well, you know what? We used to come over here every Sunday once a month uh, from the States uh, with Jack Tunney and, of course, Billy Red Lines. And we had so much fun and so much great time with all of our fans in Toronto. And then, of course, the next day we'd leave and go to either Hamilton and do TV or maybe Ottawa and do TV. I remember uh, my first uh, my first match I have ever seen. Uh, do you want to you cough drop, uh, Jimmy? You got okay. me coughing. You were coughing a while ago, and I was making oh fun my. of you. <laughs> and now you got me choked up coughing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, jeepers. Uh, it's, it's the mouth of the south and the least of the east right here. Um, it's so funny. My first wrestling match I ever went to uh, live, WWE or WWF back then, was 1986 at the Super X Grandstand in Ottawa. And uh, you were on the card. And it was like it was three or four days before you did that big Toronto show where you had seventy-eight thousand, and uh, but you were wrestling the the Rougeos who were good guys that night, and you were with the Funks and uh, Terry and Dory, um, which was and it was I think you guys were second match in, and Hulk was on top of the card with Randy Savage. Uh, that's my like, I was very excited, uh, and you know, you you, man, you end up managing both those teams. You managed a lot of tag teams, and you managed a lot of uh, individual wrestlers, but um, was there a reason why Bobby Heenan sort of got all the guys that went against Hogan, and then you ended up with, like, IC champs or tag team champs? Is there a reason? Because, really, I, when I look at the times of who's facing Hogan, you, you know, you did not have as many opportunities as Bobby Heenan has, uh, maybe with Terry Funk, but not so many is there a reason why bobby was like the number one guy against hogan and then you were more uh down the card a bit handling the other talents like you still had more tv time because you were out more but i feel like you know that uh there's got to be a reason maybe it's their history in the awa or whatever that be what do you think that was no what happened really i was kind of like the Blue Light Kmart special wrestling manager. I went out three or four times a night, had a lot of fun doing it. But I always like to have people that were going to win some matches. You talked about Bobby going out that many times and fighting Hulk with different people, but how many times did he win? How many times did they beat the Hulkster, right or wrong? Well, never, never. Thank you very much. Let's call Uber. Now, what I was going to tell you, though, (laughs) no, we had a great time. Uh, You know, like I I would never – I was so happy that Vince put me with so many great people back in the day. I, you know, I had the Honky Tonk Man, the Hart Foundation, the Nasty Boys, the Rougeau Brothers, Earthquake and Typhoon, Terry and Dory Funk, the wrestling ref, referee, uh, Danny Davis. Uh, you know, like I said, I just had so many tag teams, but I was more really into the tag team matches. And um, we just, like I said, it was such a great run for us back then, especially being in Canada, too. Um, now, okay, so... Uh, there's certain questions that I'm really excited to ask you, so I'm going to go into one of my favorite questions I want to ask you. Uh, back in your Memphis days, uh, we talked earlier in the car about Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman is one of, I'm a comedian, 
uh, who's a wrestling fan, so surprise, Andy Kaufman's one of my heroes. And you uh, managed Andy Kaufman in Memphis and worked with him. And uh, I really feel like Andy Kaufman was a lot like superstar Billy Graham, where he was 20 years before his time. Like, um, you know, nobody, like, he was turned down by the WWE when they approached him because they didn't want uh, a guy who was on a number one TV show coming in and doing whatever he was going to do. And uh, thank God for Jerry Lawler in Memphis, uh, or else we would have never seen Andy's wrestling career. And, uh, you know, I, when Andy did the Breakfast of Blassie premiere, he showed up looking like Mr. T. Now, he was going through cancer, too, but I kind of think he, he wasn't very happy with Mr. T because two years after he decided to get into wrestling, now Vince Jr. is running the promotion, and Mr. T is an actor off the number one TV show, and he's doing wrestling. That must have drove him insane. But what I want to ask about Andy is um, what do you he, – he was obsessed with Elvis, and he loved bad guy wrestling – do you think he would be jealous or envious of the Honky Tonk Man's character? I think he would love the Honky Tonk Man's character. But uh, when Andy was in Memphis, two things after the show on Monday night he'd have to do. would have to drive by Elvis's house at Graceland, and we'd sit out there for 20 or 30 minutes uh, just watching people come and go. And then uh, his favorite wrestler was the Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers. And he had a lot of books on Buddy Rogers at the time we were in Memphis. But the reason I was put with him in Memphis through Jerry the King Lawler was because Andy sometimes, when we'd go to the ring that late at night, he would take a lot of time on the floor doing his slapstick stuff. And Lawler and them knew the audience was getting a little restless. So I was with him all the time to kind of, okay, Andy, time to get in the ring. And we had a lot of great angles. You know, him and I tagged up together against Lawler. Then... Um, he turned on Lawler. I turned on him. We fought each other. But it was like a year program that we had. And they found out that when Andy passed away, he still had all of his Memphis checks he had never cashed. Oh, that's just, like, I love hearing that. Thank you for sharing that with me because, you know, he just loved wrestling so much. And I get upset that he's, like, I know the people are like, well, there's no actual Hall of Fame. But, you know, I think Andy should I don't even think he should be in the celebrity ring, the wing. I think he deserves to be in, like, bonafide, full-on. The WWE benefited from the movie Man on the Moon. They have Andy Kaufman action figures packaged with Jerry Lawler, and I, I don't understand why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Like, the Jerry Lawler moment, him taking pro wrestling and putting it on the David Letterman show, and it's one of the greatest hundred moments in, in television history, um... You know, he made Jerry Lawler's name nationwide overnight. And I'm just like, I don't understand why someone who would do that much for wrestling, you know, he should be honored and they should put him in the Hall of Fame. Like, what do you think? Well, I'm sure he should have a place in there. But show said Cindy Lauper. Look at Cindy Lauper. 100%. I mean, Cindy Lauper, the first WrestleMania. That's why I was so excited to be on the first WrestleMania because if it had not been successful, we wouldn't be doing this radio show now. But uh, like I said, Cindy Lauper, uh, Andy Coppin. But I'm sure as the years go by, I'm sure there's going to be room for everybody. Yeah, I agree totally. I agree as well. Um, so, yeah, that's great because um, I loved Andy, and I loved uh, I love hearing the stories of, like, you know, where he's lying in the ring, 
And he's like, Andy wants an ambulance. <laughs> he's like, ambulance is too expensive. Andy said he was paid, you know. So they gave him an ambulance. And I just love Eddie, how long he wore that neck brace. And uh, he's such a great talent. Um, you've managed the three of my favorite, not only, like, inspira inspirations, but my favorite wrestlers and my favorite overall talents. And that's Andy Kaufman and Bret the Hitman Hart and Hulk Hogan. Um, can you tell me a little bit about about the other two? As we've already talked about Andy, can you? Um, what makes? Well, I know what makes them so special, but what makes each of those guys so special, and what was it like working with them? Well, you know, their personality was special, and you know what? You can't make people love you. You can make people hate you, but it's all about, you know, selling tickets. It's all about selling merchandise, and it's about a personality, and. Everybody had something special. Hulk, bigger than life character. His interviews were so good. And it's just something about him that he was like a magnet that people just attracted to him on. Bret Hart was kind of like the guy next door. I remember back when we, uh, me and Anvil were in Memphis together. When I went to New York, then later on the Anvil came in and they let me manage Jim Neidhart. And then one day while we were there, George Scott said, look, I'm going to put a tag team together with uh, you and a guy named Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. I'd never met Bret before. Now, to find out the story of what really happened, Bret had been wrestling as a single, and they wanted to turn him into a cowboy, Cowboy Bret Hart. <laughs> and he didn't want to ride a horse to the ring or do anything else that they were going to maybe do with him. And Bret was the one that suggested, say, look, I don't want to leave here. What about teaming me up with, with Anvil and, and Jim, Jimmy Hart? You know, let me have a manager. So they put it together, and then later on, you know, we had the Hart Foundation put together, which turned out to be a great run for all of us, you know. But Brett just has that special something that people love. The girls love him. The guys aren't intimidated by him. And he's just the real deal, and he's, he's very special. Uh, I would have never had the notoriety if we hadn't had the Hart Foundation or been with the Honky Tonk Man or Earthquake and Typhoon or... Dino Bravo or Adrian Adonis and Rouge O Brothers. I mean, just so many of the, the people that I've been able to manage through the years has been great for me. Um, yeah, and, like, there's so many memories and so many, like, that's what it's all about. Like, um, you know, so many good moments that you had with the Heart Foundation that were just, oh, my. Like, I remember your first, like, Saturday's main events were, for me, that was... That was before. Like, bef that was the pay per view before pay per views existed. I could not. Once a month, you get to see nothing like you know. You don't get to like superstars was just you know the the to me, the the preliminary matches where the, the squash matches. But when you got to see Saturday Night's main event, that that's what that was the real deal. And so and like you were a big part of Saturday Night's main event. And you know I look at. Um, so many angles like I remember the Hart Foundation uh, uh, defending their title for the first time on Saturday night's main event and I just remember the promo and uh, my sister would I have to say this because my sister would kill me if I didn't bring it up because I, we, we used to do this promo together all the time and it was basically uh, you and Jim and, and Brett and you said uh, it's my first time is it your first time it's my first time is it your first time it's my first time it's our first time <laughs> And uh, I love that promo. It's so simple. It was going to commercial. Here's a 20-second thing. And uh, did you have writers back then to write this stuff, or was that just, like, talked about and then just done? 
everything we got to do was just ad lib. We never really rehearsed anything. We didn't know what Anne was going to say, what I was going to say. I always just kind of led into it. And and um, Bret Hart and myself, we just all kind of fell in to place on everything. And so it was nothing, never pre-talked about before we went to the ring or do this interview about this or do it about that. And I think that was kind of special, too, with all of us. But like I said before, I was on every Saturday night's main event. I didn't realize it until I saw Dick Ebersol about a year ago. And he said, Jimmy, he said, I always ask for you or one of your teams specifically to be on the show because I knew you were going to be colorful. I knew you were going to take a lot of crazy bumps. And, and you always had some good talent. So I was always grateful that if I've done nothing else in life, I was on every Saturday night's main event. Yeah, and that's and that's something that like I noticed more. Like you know, like Bobby was like we'd be in the main event, and he would. You're right. He would always lose to Hogan, and uh, you know Bundy should have stayed with you. Clearly, he would have had a title. You know. Well, you know, I had King Kong Bundy in Memphis. I had the Iron Sheik in Memphis. Joe LaDuke and handsome Jimmy Valiant, Jim Neidhart, of course, and tons more. But I was just grateful when I did go to New York that they gave me Jim Neidhart to manage. And I had Greg the Hammer Valentine up there, too. My first WrestleMania was King Kong Bundy, and then I had Greg the Hammer Valentine. What I realized, though, that no matter how many times they had me go out a night, I felt like I was a different character because I'd always change jackets and have a different look as far as my outfits went. Yes. And I think that was kind of longevity for me. Well, I like that. I like that you custom-tailored your outfits to your to the tag teams that you that you managed at the time, whether it be... You know the natural disasters. You had a great look, or and then when it, when you uh, when you had the the um, the mega maniacs. Was that what Hogan and Beefcake were called? I think. Yeah, the mega maniacs for them, and then yeah. and then of course, um, like you said, earthquake and typhoon, Terry and Dory Funk. We wore the cowboy outfits for them, but like I said, I was just so blessed to be with a lot of people that had so much ability not only in the ring but so much knowledge of the wrestling business because i tried to steal a little bit from everybody who were your like so how did you make the jump from going from music into wrestling well in memphis tennessee i was part of a group called the gentries we had a million set of record called keep on dancing back in the 60s it was on a ktel album i've heard it so many times yeah and we were on mgm records we did all the tours out of high school on weekends with the beach boys and sunny and Cher and a lot of the groups back in that era. One day I was home after about four or five years after traveling. Jerry Lauder called me and said, look, I don't know if you know me, but I'm Jerry Lauder. I said, yeah, I watch wrestling when I'm in town. And he said, you know, I went to school with you. And he said, uh, you went to music, I went to wrestling. He said, I'd, uh, I want to cut a brand new wrestling album, one of the first ones ever. Will you help me with it? I said, I'd love to. So that's how we first hooked up. We went in the studio. And while we were in the studio, the musicians, they passed around a joint. They passed it to me, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't smoke dope. They passed it to Lauder. He said, I don't either. And then all of a sudden, they passed around a big bottle of wine. I said, I'm sorry, I don't drink. Lauder goes, I don't either. <laughs> so we really became great friends after that. And um, we love sports. He loved to play football, touch football on weekends and softball, and I did too. And so we just became good friends. Then... Uh, like everything else, when you don't really have a hit record, you wind up staying around home that much more and doing more weekend stuff. So I was playing uh, locally there, and Lawler would come out, and he'd sing with us off and on, him and a guy named Plowboy Frazier, who was up in New York. He was called Uncle Elmer, of course. They'd come out and sing with me. Lawler said, look, during the week, since you're not playing, 
why don't you do, we'll pay you to do promotion for us. So I went out and started doing promotion for them, radio and TV, doing ring announcing. And then it just led to me finally, Lawler coming to me and said, look, I need a manager. How about leaving the group and managing me full time? And I went, I'd love it. And there I was. I was in the wrestling business, kind of a roundabout situation. Jerry Lawler is, you know, I don't, I don't think that guy gets enough credit uh, to what he's done for wrestling and when, who he is in wrestling. Like, uh, you know, the careers that he started and, and, and the wrestlers that he's created and just the Memphis promotion in itself, you know, it has influenced even stuff they do in the WWE today, you know. So uh, I think that's amazing. Um, now, can you tell me, uh, you know, so when you started working with Hogan at the Mega, with, with Mega Maniacs, and has that, did that carry all the way through in his WCW run? We went with him, right? What happened is I met Hulk in Memphis, Tennessee, working with Jerry Lawler. One night uh, I went down before I went to my club and started playing music, and Lawler invited me to come by. So at 8 o'clock, I didn't start till 9. So at 8 o'clock, I was at the Coliseum on a Monday night, and Lawler called me. He said, come here, I want you to see something. So I went around the corner, and we were looking through the door, and there was Hulk in the ring, Terry Boulder back then, he said, what do you think of that big guy? And I said, oh, my God, he looks great. He said, you know, he asked me to manage him. He'd give me 10% of whatever he made if I'd book him. I said, are you going to do it? King goes, I promise you, I'll never make a dime in this business. Now, me and Jerry laugh about that now because Larry <laughs> swear, I never said that. Jerry goes, I never said that. And I said, King, I know you did. And um, But I met Hulk through him back then. And then uh, when I went to New York, uh, I was managing all the bad guys, of course. And Hulk goes, oh, did you come to manage me? And I said, no, I wish. I said, but I'm managing all the bad guys. And he goes, okay. Well, he said, maybe down the line. And so we had a great relationship up in New York. Then we went to WCW after that. That's that's amazing. Um, so at what point at what point did you know that Hulk was going to uh, flip and go heel? And what were your thoughts about it? Did you think it was career suicide? Like, what did you think about that? Well, first of all, in WCW, we'd never really planned to go anywhere. We were doing, we just took time off from WWF back in, WWE now, to do a, a show called Thunder in Paradise. Yes. And so we were doing Thunder in Paradise for about two months. And all of a sudden, uh, WCW was filming in Disney over there where we were shooting our show. And Eric Bischoff and, and um, Ric Flair came by. And I guess at that particular time, they were kind of on the borderline of what was going to happen to their company. So I think Eric had approached Hulk through Ric Flair about Hulk joining them. So they called Ted Turner and said, we have a chance to get Hulk. And he said, okay, let's see what it's going to do. And so we had a pay-per-view in Orlando, Florida to see what kind of money could be made. And uh, thank God it turned out to be good. I managed Hulk against Ric Flair, and he had sensational sherry in his corner. And, but... Huck and I pulled out all the stops. We got Mr. T to come for us. We got Shaquille O'Neal to be part of it. We got everybody to join in. And it sold out the the, uh, the building there at the arena in Orlando. And the pay-per-view buy rates went through the roof. So Ted Turner saw that and went, you know what, Eric, you got an open checkbook. Do whatever you want to do. So that really kind of kicked the door open. And then uh, later on, we had a great run down there. I went down and did the music for him. Because at the time, they were just using soundbite songs from their catalog. Mm -hmm. So we were able to do that and um, managed Tuck down there for about a year. And then like everything else, you know, everything kind of gets stale. You have to kind of give the old horse another, you know, side of oats. 
and kind of give it another run. And uh, that's when they switched Hulk uh, heel. But I'll tell you, when we talked about it and everything else, who knew if it would work or not? But what really helped it was Nash and Hall the way they were, you know, because they came over from WWE. They were major stars at the time, both of them bigger than life characters. All three of the guys together yeah. were over six feet, so I think that helped. Yeah, it looks and then, great. Absolutely. And then um, coming up with the NWO thing, uh, that gave it another shot of life right there too. So everything just fell into place, and so all of a sudden there was Huck with the Attitude guys, which was Nash and Hall, and all three of them just complimented each other tremendously. I love the, what I love about Hogan is, and the, what I, the thing is, is like, I would not be a wrestling fan if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan. Uh, we didn't even get NWA in Canada, you know. So everything I learned about Ric Flair, I would read through in the magazine with Hulk Hogan's face on the cover, you know. So, so Ric Flair is also my favorite. But you know, when I argue who's the greatest, I say when Ric Flair was a good guy, he still wrestled like a bad guy. But when Hulk Hogan was a good guy, he was the best good guy. And then when he was the bad guy, he recreated himself, took a chance, and became the best villain. And I, it takes an incredible talent to pull off both those characters and do it so well. Roddy Piper's another guy who did it, but not to the level that Hogan did where he was number one guy on the number one show 10 years after people thought he was done. Well, you know what? You have to be over with the people to become either one, a heel or a babyface, in my opinion. I mean, you could take somebody who's not drawing and go, all right, let's make them a bad guy, but it still doesn't mean they're going to draw. But I think Hulk had all the ingredients. But Hulk will tell you the best wrestler in the world is Ric Flair. Ric Flair will tell you that the biggest name in wrestling is Hulk Hogan, you know. And so both of them have decent respect for each other. Uh, I did some shows with Ric Flair this year, some Q&As, and I love Rick. Rick's tremendous. Uh, one time up in New York, when Bobby had a, his neck hurt, he was managing Rick. Well, Bobby couldn't travel on the road, so I took over managing Rick for that whole week. And it was the greatest experience I ever had. Every night, we'd fight Hogan. And just standing in the ring before they came in the ring, and then you hear the response for Rick coming in the ring. Then you hear the response for Hogan coming in the ring. It was just unbelievable these two guys were so over with the people; it was just, it was just magic. And then the matches were great; they really were. Why don't? Why do you think that that did not happen as a WrestleMania main event? Because it's a no-brainer. You know what? You have to have somebody else on that one. I was too busy going out three or four times a night, but uh, that would have been something special, something great. What I wish what would have happened back when before WWE took over Ted Turner. Yes. What I wanted to do, and I suggested it, I said, well, look, why don't we do this? Why don't we get have Vince McMahon have a meeting with Ted Turner, film it all, and let Ted say, you know, this place is not big enough for both of us, our Vince, and let's have two out of three matches. Let's have one in your backyard, uh, Ted, uh, in, outdoors in the Atlanta Stadium there. We'd have probably drawn 60, 70,000 people. Then the next one, We'll have a New York outdoors at Yankee Stadium. And then the final one, let's go on neutral ground, maybe to London, England, you know, at uh, Wembley or one of the big outdoor stadiums there. And so, and then, of course, WWE win that one. But I thought they could have got three major shows out of it, sold a ton of merchandise out yeah. of it. The ratings through both companies would have gone through the roof. That's what I always wanted to do. And, of course, you know, uh, uh, over in, in London, of course, 
Vince and his company would have, you know, won out, of course, because they bought the, bought the company anyhow. But I think we got a lot more mileage out of that. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, like, you know, and it's just, it, it did happen eventually, but it was just, you know, I would have rather than seen it, you know, earlier in the WWE before it did happen when it, you know, because I like Hogan as the good guy and I like Ric Flair as the bad guy. And, uh, you know, they're both, they're both fantastic. I, I was lucky enough to see both of those guys wrestle countless times when the tours would come through Ottawa. I've seen Hogan fight Boss Man and, and, uh, and so many others. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Now, going back to the music, how much, how much did you have to do with the, uh, with the recording of the first wrestling album? Well, what happened? When I was in New York, uh, Cindy Lauper's manager, Dave Wolf, came to me and goes, Jimmy, you were in the Gentry's, right? I, goes, he said, I was talking to Dick Clark, and Dick Clark said, yeah, Jimmy used to – I did two appearances on American Bandstand. That's awesome. So Dick Clark really introduced me to uh, uh, Dave Wolf. Dave, look, he said, we're going to cut a wrestling album. Have you got a song you'd like to put on it? And I said, well, look, I've got a little demo here of a song called Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield, because Rick Springfield was hot at the time. Yeah. He heard it, loved it. He said, let me let Rick Derringer hear it. Rick Derringer heard it and goes, oh, my God, I love this. So Rick Derringer played guitar. Cindy Lauper sang backup on it. Uh, we went to uh, one of the major studios up there to cut it. And so I was just happy to have it on the album. Then that led to Vince and them using me cutting a lot more songs for the boys. You know, I cut Dusty Rose, the American Dream song, oh. Shawn Michaels, Sexy Boy. We had the Road Warriors, What a Rush, Ted DiBiase's Million Dollar Man song. Jimmy Superfly Snooker, Repo Man, um, the wedding song by Randy and Liz. We wrote that, me and my partner, Jim McGuire. We, um, matter of fact, I've still got the original version of him and Liz singing at my house before we took it up uh, up there. Wow. But um, we just, you know, we did Wolfpack for National Hall. We did all the songs down in WCW, you know. So, we, you know, we've had a great run doing all this stuff, but... Like I said before, if it wasn't for Vince giving me that chance to come to New York when they gave me that phone call from Memphis and open the door for me and being part of the, to me, people always ask me, what's the most important match you've ever been in? And I said, God, it had to be WrestleMania 1 because if it had not been successful, we wouldn't be doing this radio interview now. Yes. And we also forgot Girls in Cars. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I, I love Girls in Cars and Strikeforce. Uh, the last guy that we brought through uh, that played the venue you played tonight was Tito Santana. And I was upset because he didn't have any Strikeforce T-shirts in my size. Um, now, the uh, we talked earlier briefly, not on the show, but about the uh, French-Canadian guys. Um, you know, uh, I saw an interview with Pat Patterson. Or I think it was with Pat Patterson. He goes, I don't know why, but Vince always wanted to turn the French guys' heels. Um do you think do you think that was a good idea that they work better as heels than they because most of those guys that worked as, as faces as well, but I just think it I guess the foreign aspect to America makes them a better opportunity to create heels. Do you, what do you say? Well, I think that too, and you never uh, you know a lot of them never had really a personality. You know the accents were just very you know plain. The interviews were just plain, no enthusiasm, no excitement. Uh, the Rougeau brothers were kind of a difference on that. Jacques had such a great personality. I love Raymond. But have you ever noticed there's always one person in a tag team that stands out? Yes. Look at Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty. Both of them were great, but Shawn, a little bit more personality. The Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. Both of them were great, 
but Hawk kind of stood out more, you yeah. know, yeah. because of his interviews. You had uh, Ricky Brett and Robert. Ricky and Robert. Ricky. Absolutely. You had the Hart Foundation, Brett. Both of them complimented each other. Both of them were awesome. And we can go on on and on down the list of different tag teams. But uh, I just think that sometimes the, using the French accent and, use, and speaking, you know, French and everything else, too, like you said earlier, it got a little bit more heat with American people than anything. And look at the Raptors now. Look at the Raptors. They're really playing that up big. It's the first time the Raptors, you know, the Canadians have ever won any, you know, done that type thing. Yeah. And they kind of – but, look, they didn't say it was all Americans playing on the team either, except for a couple who wasn't from Canada. No, no, we have a guy from China and a guy from Africa. Um, but uh, And then Canada would take their own spin on it and be like, oh, not only did they win – but this is where basketball was invented, and right. the first game was played in Toronto. And they wouldn't say that KD was out and that what you call it had scored 30 points and was out the whole last quarter either. So you know he'd have probably scored four or five more, you know, at least. Thompson. Not only that, father time. You know, five years, five, five straight uh, years in the playoffs. That's like a whole extra season that Toronto didn't have to play. So those guys got to be tired. But Well, well that too, but... Hey, congratulations. At least they won. I think that's great. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to have a, a team winning, 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 winning all the time because it takes away from people kind of going, oh, well, you know, they're going to win, so why should I watch? I'll tell you what, uh, as great as a Raptors win is in a championship, I'd rather have another WrestleMania. <laughs> Come up to Canada, that's what I'd rather have. Uh, you know, because I've never, I've never been to a WrestleMania. I'm going to Tampa Bay next year. For the, for the first time, because uh, if Hogan's not a part of it, I know I can go to his beach shop and uh, get some stuff there. So, But uh, Hogan's the only person where I'm like, do I want to go old school Hulkamania or do I want to wear an NWO shirt? I really have a tough, tough time making such a, uh, a fan decision. They, so. ought to put, they ought to put one together with Hulkamania on the front and on the back, the NWO, or vice versa. Somebody should do something like that. That way you could switch it either way and wear it however you wanted to wear it. But, you know, Hulk's got his new beach bar. It's going to be opening up next month. It's called uh, Hogan's Hangout. He's got the big uh, store uh, in Orlando that's doing great. Got the other store, which is in Clearwater, where it's doing beautiful. So, you know, everything's great, man. You know, and like I said before, I love doing these shows because just knowing that Ricky Steamboat did the same interview a month or so ago, sitting in the same seat, driving to Toronto, and then DiBiase after that, you know, it makes me feel great. Well, nothing but Hall of Famers in this car. That's the rule. So, uh, you know, we like the, we like the best. So, and the best of the best. You know, I heard uh, Tommy Dreamer had a chance to come. Actually, Tommy Dreamer's been on the show. But we just did a phone-in with him. He didn't come to get the luxury of the drive, you know. Uh, Billy Gunn apparently said last night that he got picked up in a limo. And he was like, who wants a limo, you know? Uh, we can drive with uh, three three comics from Toronto back to uh, you know for a couple hours. So um, in closing, I guess um, I just want to ask, uh, what do you think of the, of wrestling today, and do you do you like the direction that it's headed? Well, you know, I watch Raw every Monday night. I watch SmackDown on Tuesday. I think the girls are doing a phenomenal job. The guys are working so hard. You know, I always have my few favorites I like watching, too, but I won't mention all of them because that way you hurt somebody's feelings when you, if you don't mention their name. But I think uh, I think wrestling's looking good for the future. Like I said before, if it wasn't for WWE, 
the show that we were on last night, Mark Henry was there, former WWE superstar and legend. Tugboat was there, former Tugboat and tag team partner of, of my guy, Earthquake, right? Yeah. You had uh, Hornswoggle was there, former WWE. Yeah, Tully and Lex Luger. Tully and Lex Luger was there. Iron couldn't make it. His back was hurt. So, really, if it wasn't for WWE, half these things wouldn't be taking place now because you wouldn't have any legends that really go out to do it. And who knows what the state of wrestling would be in if Vince hadn't kept it going for all these years. Because, see, you forget back in the territory days, most of the shows that we did were shot inside of a TV studio. Now the TV studios are doing news and everything else, too, and don't have the uh, the insurances and stuff to really are capable of doing that, you know, bringing a live audience in to do that. So, you know, that's the one thing that's always, you know, people have come and gone for WWE or WWF, but Vince has always been there. And I think as long as he's there in some form or some fashion overseeing everything, it's always going to be strong. It's always going to be good. And so that's just the way it goes. But I'm, I've been so grateful to be in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the greatest thrills for me to be part with Jerry Lawler. He's so smart. He's such a genius. He really is. You're right on that. But he gave me my first break. Being good friends for Hulk for over 36 years. I mean, who else could ask for more than that? And um, and just some of the people that I've been blessed in managing. I'm going to try to name all of them if I can without leaving anybody out. Just from the New York, not from Memphis. But look, I started out with Greg the Hammer Valentine, King Kong Bundy. Then I had Jim the Anvil Neidhart, then Bret Hart later on, Jacques Rougeau, Raymond Rougeau, Earthquake, Typhoon, Dino Bravo, Adrian Adonis, Honky Tonk Man. I had uh, the wrestling referee, which was um, Danny, Davis. Uh, Danny Davis. Then, of course, the Nasty Boys. I mean, oh, my God, I love Brian Knobs. I just talked to him yesterday. We always stay in touch. And Jerry Sags, the Nasty Boys. Um, like I said, Dorian Terry Funk. I'm, I've been so blessed. And Brutus Beefcake and Hulk Hogan, you know, the Mega Maniacs. And then Hulk is a single, too. And I probably left out a few. But uh, I think all together, maybe 23 different people that I was lucky enough that the WWE put me with. And if it wasn't for them. And being part of Legends House. Oh, my God. Look at that. Look at Legends House who we had. And, of course, we just lost Mean Gene and Roddy Roddy Piper, which makes that show mean that much more to me now, just mm-hmm. being with those guys for the six weeks we were together. Um, Howard Finkel and, you know, Tony Atlas. I learned so much about Tony Atlas. What a great artist he is. Uh, Pat Patterson, you know, a complete genius in this wrestling business for so many years, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know his great history, but he was so good. And um, like I said, I've just been blessed to be part of oh, Hillbilly Jim, my good friend, and, of course, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I don't want to leave them out. But um, like I said, to still be doing what we're doing on the way to Toronto tonight, we just finished a great deal with Chinlock Wrestling, and they had a great charity show, and all the people that came to us to see us in Kingston. And, you know, Jan does such a great job for that. And you guys, too, y'all put a lot of publicity out that helps a lot. Without the newspapers and publicity from radio and TV and everything, it doesn't make any of this work. And last but not least, the fans. We saw so many fans this weekend. They brought their their programs up with our pictures on them. They brought the action figures. They brought uh, – the foam hands so a couple of people brought the jimmy hart albums up you know i had an album here in canada called outrageous conduct mm-hmm. and all you had to do was sell fifty thousand here we sold sixty five thousand, so we got a gold record over here with that but uh, i feel like i'm half canadian because we've been over here so many years and also managing dino bravo canadian also um bret hart and um it's just been uh 
it's just, I don't know, it's just been such a, a thrill for me to be able to come over here, and the Rougeau brothers, of course. So once again, you know, it's just, uh, this is kind of different, us driving to Toronto. We're running into a little bit of traffic now, so we must be getting close. Yeah. Uh, but you guys do a great job. you got a great, uh, you know, program that you put on there doing it, and so it's just wonderful, man. Well, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for your time, and uh, and I hope you enjoy the uh, the rest of the ride to the airport. And I uh, hope you get home safely. And uh, well, thanks for coming on. And, uh, and everything is beautiful. And I just want to remind the people out there one health tip: just remember, everybody, eat fruit. Awesome. There you go, folks. Jimmy, the mouth, South uh, heart. You heard it right from the mouth, right from the mouth of the mouth himself. Thank you very kindly, and uh, thanks for tuning in and talking wrestling. And let us put a headlock in your ears. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Goodbye now. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.